Welcome to the Business of Eye Innovation, MedDevice's monthly podcast talking all things ophthalmology and innovation in, in the world today. Uh, with us today is Joe Mandado, who is one of the partners in DeNovo Ventures. Uh, DeNovo is a, an a venture capital fund uh, that has been very active in the ophthalmology industry for many years now. I met Joe, I think, probably 2006, 2007, when you were on the board of WaveTech Vision. Right. Um, so going, going back a few years now. And we've invited Joe on the podcast today to talk about uh, the general state of investment in the medtech field, um, particularly in, as we exit out of what is hopefully the exiting out of the COVID era and then drilling into a little bit more about ophthalmology-specific um, investments. So welcome, Joe. Nice to be here, Chris. So, Joe, over the past, you know, obviously over the past two and a half years, um, there's there's been a lot of focus on COVID. Um, we've seen a lot of investment into, you know, technology that touched into COVID testing, et cetera. Um, from your viewpoint out in, in California, what how has COVID impacted investment into medical technology? Has it had an impact? Has it been business as usual? What's happened? Yeah, I, I think uh, the industry has been extraordinarily resi resilient, right? I mean, after initially processing uh, the impact of COVID, uh, it went back to business as usual. In fact, in, in 21, <clears throat> you saw not only uh, record investing, venture investing, uh, but record venture investing in multiple different segments. For example, uh, digital health. Uh, literally, the, the number of investments doubled. Retail health, whatever that is. Again, the number of investments doubled and the size of the investments uh, increased significantly. And the gross amount of dollars going into it increased dramatically. The one area in 22, that really kind of changed. And I think it was the impact of uh, geopolitical issues, not so much concern about the war specifically, but what would happen next, right? And so I think all of those uh, affected the rate and pace of, of uh, venture investing. Uh, you're seeing a lot of uh, firms uh, that are having a hard time raising money through venture funds, and now are looking to debt and even the debt market has been uh, impacted, right? The terms are getting uh, more challenging uh, and, and the covenants are getting more challenging. So it, the answer to your question is, it, yes, it has changed. Uh, it only recently changed after robust 21 going into 22. Uh, there has been a significant slowdown. And what, um, you, you mentioned digital being a big focus and, and definitely over the past two years, I've seen a lot of, money going into anything digital, anything um, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Is there, what is the hope? <laughs> I think, because I, I, oftentimes when I see a company presenting an AI technology or a digital technology, my immediate reaction, my immediate thought is, where's the revenue stream? How are you going to make money out of that? And so often it seems like a lot of money goes into things that don't necessarily have a very clear revenue stream, but are very bright and shiny and cool. So what, what is, 
piquing investor, investors' interest right now in terms of digital and AI? And is it with a vision of we're going to make money from this someday? I think like so many disruptive new uh, companies in health tech, one of the really big challenges is always how are the companies going to make money? Are they going to be able to penetrate the market? Is the market made up of more than just early adopters, right? And do they have the capacity to change? That too is, a, I think, a big issue in med tech. But, you know, areas such as uh, cybersecurity, healthcare is the most vulnerable, the U.S. industry in cybersecurity, and yet it's the last uh, to try to make the appropriate changes to protect themselves, right? Um, access to healthcare, you've got the whole retail health through, you know, the Walgreens, uh, the instant clinics, things like that. Insofar as artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence-based dental platform for diagnosis and treatment. Also, also is a company uh, where they've gotten significant financing. Uh, it's an AI-based surgical and diagnostic platform, right? So the platform can be used for uh, surgical training, for example. So, so these are specific areas that aren't too far out into left field that might make sense to investors that have enough of a shine using the latest, greatest uh, technology to affect change. So they'll get some attention. The more complex and uh, scientific project-like uh, artificial intelligence uh, platforms will not get so much uh, attention, nor will they be able to raise a lot of money. Also, a business development, uh, companies doing interesting things to provide themselves uh, more a runway. For example, you know, Beckton Dickinson, uh, they spun out their diabetes care business unit. Uh, the three companies merged in uh, Fresenius Cricket and Mitter for kidney care. Uh, so you're seeing a lot more creativity on the part of, of companies, which mm -hmm. is terrific um, and and uh, uh, especially in terms of treating chronic conditions right diabetes obviously which is a lifelong patient relationship uh, those areas make a lot of sense but these are kind of common sense good business combinations right through a, an innovative new vehicle you, you're going to find money to do that um, yeah yeah, and Biogen, um, Biogen's in the process of, they've created a digital health spinoff called Biogen, Biogen Digital Health to to capitalize into and, you know, and tie that, you know, the pharmaceutical side together with the digital side. If you look at uh, the the uh, the whole area of digital health, right, you've got Rock Health here in San Francisco. Uh, they had financings uh, of 29, uh, they came out, Funding bonanza of $29.1 billion, right? How, how, will, how will 22 stack up? Uh, it's clear that this year has its own story. Digital health funding closed with $6 billion in Q1 uh, in 183 deals, right? So digital health is still a big uh, opportunity. But again, as you pointed out, what the hell's the business model, right? Who's going to buy all this stuff? Who knows how to use this stuff? And most importantly, who can affect the change necessary in a practice or an institution to adopt it, to really actually put it to good use? And look at medical records, how long that took, 
right? Mm. It, it, and so you can have the same phenomena in some of these digital health things where in the actual practice setting, there's going to be so many barriers to entry, the biggest one being a change uh, and two, getting the staff to want to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a lot of the work that we do these days is in assessing the European market for companies looking to right. commercialize in Europe. And um, in, in particular, we just finished a project for one company that's got a breakthrough technology in cornea, which hasn't seen a lot of innovation. And to a, to a person, the surgeon's immediate reaction is, oh, we don't need it. What we have today works really well. And so we, we know that that's the immediate, immediate response. And then the next sentence they go, oh, but can, I, can you sign me up to, to give it a test? Yeah. So there's always this line that you walk you know, when you're asking those questions. And, but the, the challenge is, from our standpoint, is the company and the investors behind that company understanding enough to know that you're gonna to have to put a lot of money into influencing that change. Right. And that's where I, especially over the past, you know, 12, 15 years, there's been more of a, an understanding that you need to do that in Europe, just like you need to do that in the US. Mm -hmm. And you need mm -hmm. to make that investment to make that market happen for yourselves. Getting, getting over to ophthalmology, one of the comments that you made about this coming into 2022 is that there's less, there seems to be less activity on the VC side of an, and companies are having a harder time raising money. And we've seen a number of ophthalmology startups go public um, as a way to raise capital. It, and I'm aware of a couple of others that are in the wings right now waiting for the markets to settle down. Um, is what is triggering this? Is it is it the lack of investment on the VC side? Is it is it looking at going public as a bright and shiny tool to you know have unlimited access to new investors? What's the rationale there? Sure, I, I think uh, I think that the data uh, you're you're talking about was mostly in effect in uh, 21. All right, you had company like uh, Sight Sciences, which is an ophthalmic device company, right? They raised $275 million at a, a cap uh, capitalization of $2 billion. Now, uh, the company's value uh, has gone down 60, 70%. It's down to $600 million. On sales of $50 million, that's still pretty dramatic. All right. You've got a number of companies that uh, Shockwave, Shockwave. Uh, is a $3 billion company on $100 million in revenue. These are insane, right? But these are all from 21. You're not seeing that anymore. In fact, in fact, uh, let's look at the data. So far this year, just 22 companies have gone public in traditional IPOs, raising a combined $2.3 uh, billion. That is a huge downshift from last year when 79 companies had raised nearly $36 billion by this same point last year, right? So obviously uh, that's not happened. Uh, many companies, including significant companies, are postponing their IPO. And you you mentioned uh, you knew of somebody, some in, in ophthalmology will push and loan. They can't get out, all right? So they're waiting, they're postponing their deal. And if Bosch and loan can't get out, uh, nobody else is gonna get out, right? Uh, and, and, and the basis of all that is, you know, investors are going to stop swinging wildly for the fences, right? They've got to evaluate 
what the impact of surging inflation is going to be, uh, interest rate hikes, uh, the geopolitical uh, situation, et cetera. So, so the consensus is when that gate opens, there's going to be a huge backlog and the, the, the first companies out of the gate will be profitable companies, fairly large, raising hundreds of millions of dollars uh, or more in their offerings. Our little tiny companies, venture-funded companies, don't even come close on any of those metrics, right? So I don't think the IPO, IPO group is, is going to be nearly, uh, as, nearly as robust as, as in past, the past couple of years. Um, the other thing, we've got to get back to the, the large companies, the large caps, have got to go back to their, their, their role. They've got to start acquiring, <laughs> and the prices will be lower. Uh, and there's been kind of a, a quiet period where you haven't had the acquisitions, uh, the reliable acquisitions that you would have in past years. You mentioned uh, uh, WaveTech, okay? Uh, WaveTech couldn't have gotten public. So the, the good news is it, it was acquired. Tier Science, right? The, uh, the glaucoma uh, the company was acquired by J&J. Now you've got to slow down, and I, uh, I think they've got to come back to the table because you're going to have too many quality companies. And that's the other thing. The entrepreneurs, oh, they want to step up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't have a step up in revenue, but they want to step up in value uh, and, and totally unrealistic uh, values. I, I don't know. You know, it, it, it'll take a while, but they will figure it out. I, I, I would agree, and I think that's, you know, I... I had a call last night with a with a startup and they said, well, we're going to do this and this and this and then a, a strategic will be interested. And I I know that strategics will not be interested until they start to show revenue. And there are, you know, there are metrics now. The, the, the metrics that, that startups are measured against today is very different from 15 years ago. Right. And you can't expect to exit at pre-revenue anymore right. or very rarely. Um, and, and so it, you have to work harder and, and I think harder and longer, yeah, harder and longer and, and the runway, yeah. And the runway is going to be more costly. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, what is of interest in, in the world of ophthalmology today in terms of investment? Yeah. Is it yeah. diabetes, AMD? Uh -huh. Historically, you know, di uh, ophthalmology has always had uh, a robust, uh, relationship with uh, venture financing uh, and, and and the large uh, caps. They've always had a big interest in it. You've had J and J around now providing financing. You had uh, others. Uh, it, it, it's not quite the same, but it's still uh, pretty healthy. One of the areas that's gotten tremendous attention and also is so understandable is practice rollups. Right? Uh, people are really interested. In consolidations, and if you look at the margins in an ophthalmic practice and the average revenue size, you could put together two or three practices and have a, a, a very nice little company that will be acquired by a larger. And you've got uh, private equity firms with barrels of cash looking to deploy that cash. So I think I think practice roll-ups and consolidation will continue to be exciting. Cat, as you mentioned, cataract and refractive. Surgery still gets a lot of attention. Uh, you know, it, 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 surgical platforms, you know, laser phaco, precision guidance, 
robotic uh, FACO. Uh, yeah, somebody was uh, talking to me about a robotic FACO. Well, how can you employ robotics? Or how much is it worth investing in robotics uh, to do a little flap? You know what I mean? How precise does that flap need to be? But anyway, uh, in, in lenses, accommodative technologies uh, are still pretty exciting. Uh, post-surgical adjustable lenses, right? Uh, fake IOL. So there's still a lot going on in, in that area. And I think I think Star has got an approval on their fake IOL. I don't remember the name of it, but I, I, I got a picture of it. So, so there's still a lot of interest there, and I guess a, a lot of opportunity. Uh, dry eye. Will anybody ever figure a way to fix dry eye? So, so I was on the board of Tier Science, and we had a very innovative mechanical device. Uh, and uh, the challenge was the poor patient had to wear this eye uh, piece for eight minutes. That's a long time, right? Uh, 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 customer patients uh, have complained that the current modalities for treatment in dry eye uh, are not as good as they should be. There's still a lot of patient discomfort. Uh, a lot of uh, the lack of compliance. Uh, so dry eye is still a major target. And, and there's so many approaches out there, right? I, 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 I can't give you a number, but 50 pharma and biologics are adding to current steroids and NSAIDs focused on inflammation and, and uh, dry eye. And uh, my Bowian gland, uh, you know, how do you unplug those glands? and have enough tear flow so that you solve the problem of, of dry eye. Glaucoma, uh, big surgery, you know, the near-term focus on canal outflow devices, uh, very important. Um, pharmaceutical uh, development on outflow enhancement, combination therapies, uh, extended release uh, modalities for glaucoma, uh, increased interest in neural protection, right? Uh, protecting the eye going forward. Uh, there's still interest in, in retina, uh, there's interest in artificial intelligence insofar as diagnostics uh, are concerned, uh, diabetic retinopathy, uh, the relationship with the dementia uh, and, and eye disease, right? So, and stem cell therapies. So there's a whole bunch of things, all of which have pretty significant timelines from a regulatory standpoint. And as a result, will involve lots and lots of cash over an extended period, all of provoking interest. But I think the standards for investment will go up. The price of that investment will go down, right? And, and the outcome will be more dependent on a, a robust M&A uh, activity rather than an IPO market, I think, because th that just got out of hand. In 2021. Yeah, there was definitely some some impressive rounds uh, done in 2021 that raised eyebrows, um, yep. without a doubt. Mm -hmm. um, the so it from your perspective, you know, the ophthalmology remains a very robust field mm -hmm. for innovation. Um, so that that speaks well for the industry, and I think you know I'm I'm constantly amazed at the number of new companies that, that cross our mm -hmm. paths and and people who are trying different things and you know the especially on the glaucoma and cataract side which is which is incredibly active. 
But right. it, it is interesting what you said about the um, the strategic sitting on the sidelines. Do you think that's because they they've been burned? <laughs> yeah, it depends on, on which side of the table you represent. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, to your science, uh, their revenues have eroded since the uh, acquisition by J and J. But I would venture to say, having had uh, seen this uh, before, uh, many small companies, when they're acquired by a large company, really, really have difficulty uh, executing because now they've got a very different reporting structure, uh, decision structure, uh, and they can't be as nimble as they used to be when they were standalone. So I think that's always been a challenge uh, and that will continue to be a challenge. I don't think the companies are really get burnt. I mean, they know what they're getting into. Uh, They may not have enough of a perspective on, uh, I was on the board of, of a company uh, that made the, the Invisalign, the Invisible Braces. And early on, uh, when we were looking to get revenue, one of the board members famously said the product will sell itself. That, is, that just does not happen. Uh, and I Ever. Think it, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the story that I tell a lot is Interlace. And yeah. when, with the previous company and we we started and and companies always said to us well we'll just go get the interlace distributors that that worked really well they had no idea about the level of commercial organization that interlace had on the ground in europe um and and that you know there's there's a a level of um like like i said earlier the 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 level of investment that you need and attention to detail to move the line Mm-hmm. And and get the strategics interested is is just a is a much different situation than it was before. Um, sure. Yeah. So, um, well, anything else to to add about uh, what what's on the horizon and ophthalmology for the rest of 2022 going into 2023? Well, again, I think I think companies have got to batten down their hatches. I think they've got to accept the fact that financing is going to be more challenging. Um, and that they should probably get into the marketplace sooner rather than later. Uh, that price should not be the primary issue. Survival and prosperity should be the primary uh, issues. And, and price, worry about it on the exit, right? Uh, so I think I think they've got to be realistic on how to best manage a business and uh, not to have not to have too many stars in their eyes and get an advisor or two that will uh, tell them the truth. <laughs> right uh, about prospects for their business and and how best to spend their money and how best to raise their money. So uh, common sense kinds of things more than anything else. Okay, thank you very much, Joe Mandato, for joining us today on the business of eye innovation. Thank you for the opportunity.